basically young people to they come out of high school to get training to go and, and be in college it kind of spawned out of sports because kids who weren't ready to play in college started going to these prep academies to get better in their sport and some people said well if they can do that in sports why don't we do that spiritually and prepare young people to be spiritually ready so uh, there's there's quite a few of them actually across the states but the two best that i know of are at missouri and in Denton, texas so but yeah it's just a gap between high school and college <clears throat> gap filler more than it is a gap <laughs> How's everybody doing? Better than I'm I think there's a sheet should have been going around. Make sure you check that off. Thanks for Doug. Thanks for letting me pinch hit. And Doug called me about an hour ago. I said, "Man, why don't you show up?" You know, you could probably use some some encouragement. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad your trip was good. Also, you know, this always goes without saying. Uh, Chuck, I just want to thank you. Every week, this guy goes, gets the food, he sets up the food, and he cleans up the food. And so, thanks again for doing that. Um, I don't think we have any new guys here today, right? Hard to believe, uh, Doug, I was thinking, uh, we've been in Acts for almost two years. <laughs> over two? Has it been over two years? I must have missed a few weeks in there somewhere. <laughs> Doug keeps telling me we're going to finish before the summer. We are. It's like what our pastor says, if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. <laughs> you know, over the years, uh, Doug has uh, always had these up here for men who show up here. Everybody have one of these? You know, you don't realize how valuable these are. If you don't have one of these, get one. Um Doug, I know you know this about me. I probably have 15 of those books. Now, they're in my own little books because I journal every day. And, uh, you know, the, the point of these books is to record specific areas where God might be challenging you. And, um, you know, I, I think about Acts, and I, I've kind of. As I go back week after week, and fortunately, as Doug and I get on the radio every week, I go back and I look at the notes that I've jotted down while I've been in here. And that's pretty much what I use to just converse with Doug. And uh, I am thankful. You know, we, we, we know 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so I would encourage you, if, if it's not your habit, if it's not your discipline to take notes as we open the Word of God, do it. It will, it will Doug and I were just chatting a little while ago when we were on the phone, uh, we're talking about Charles Stanley. You know, we're talking about all the men over the years who have spoken into our lives and into your lives. I came to Christ in 1981, and the very, the, just the handful of men that were on the radio at that time, one of them was Charles Stanley, one of them was Chuck Swindoll, one of them was Tony Evans, one of them was R.C. Sproul, one of them was John MacArthur. And then every week, <clears throat> Doug, you remember when Tommy Nelson used to send out the cassette tapes. I got on his cassette tape ministry and he would send me a cassette tape every week of his message the, prior, the previous Sunday. 
And as the study of Acts has been profitable for me, I hope it has been for you. Whether you've been here two weeks or two years, I hope this study has taught you, trained you, and transformed you. Personally, I've learned, if I've learned anything in studying Acts, I've learned that as a follower of Christ, I should be looking for every opportunity to fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't get around it. It's everywhere. (laughs) Since Acts chapter 9, that's what you see. Paul saw as the goal of his life to win souls to Christ and to mature them in the faith. And as Christians walking in the Spirit, we are to reproduce. I don't think we need programs to promote evangelism and discipleship. It should be an overflow of a Spirit-filled life. You guys remember the early church back in Acts chapter 2. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. By the way, this was not the result of a dynamic preacher or some powerful teacher. Church growth was the result of Spirit-filled believers speaking into the culture. What would it look like if we made it our mission this year to win two people to Christ and then disciple them? What would that look like? What would that look like just in this room if each of us reached two people and then invested to disciple them? I'm not not talking, by the way, about inviting your lost friends to church. I'm not talking about inviting them to SWAT. You're welcome to do that. But I'm talking about you coming in here week after week being equipped to go out. We've confused it. We've reversed it. We come together so that we can huddle each other and encourage each other, which is great. But the whole purpose of us coming in is so that we'll go out. So why don't we go out? What is it that's keeping us from going out? As we look at the book of Acts, and in fact, this passage today in particular, I'm reminded again that Paul is under intense pressure. The Jews hate him so much... They've allowed the Romans to hold him as a prisoner. He's having to give his testimony over and over and over again. But every time he gives his testimony, he declares his innocence and they still won't let him go. Every time he declares his testimony, it ends up being a presentation of the gospel, which seems to throw everything back into chaos. Paul's boldness is undeniable. In fact, in chapter 7, Paul goes into Athens and he sees that the city was full of idols. Would would you say our culture, our cities are full of idols? It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace, listen to this, in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He did the same thing in Corinth. He did the same thing in Philippi. He presented Christ and His resurrection and people were saved. He found a demon-possessed girl and it didn't bother him that the two men who were making their fortune off the girl would be angry. (laughs) I think we we pause to say something because we're worried how somebody might respond. Paul casted out a demon of the girl and then got thrown into jail. And you know what happened in jail? He started singing hymns. That led to an earthquake. 
that earthquake opened the prison cell and literally the, the, the jailer was about to kill himself. What did Paul do? He used it as an opportunity to present the gospel. And the jailer was saved. Paul's mission was to win people to Christ. Amen. When it was time for Paul to give a defense, he used it as an opportunity to herald the gospel. Remember when they wanted to kill him in the courtyard? The Romans rescued him, hauled him up the stairs, and Paul pleads for an opportunity to speak to the crowd. They hauled him into the Sanhedrin, and Paul used that as an opportunity to talk about the resurrection. And as a result, it threw the Sanhedrin into chaos. And before he's ripped to shreds, the Romans rescued him once again. Paul's mission was not as much to defend his, his, his actions as it was to contend for the gospel. Today, we speak about a cancel culture or being silenced. The truth is, the culture doesn't need to cancel the church because the church is silent. You guys know what SWAT stands for, right? Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. The Bible speaks of Christians as soldiers. In fact, it speaks of Christians as soldiers having a sword. What would you need a sword for? What do you need a sword for? To battle. To fight. It's not just a weapon of defense, but it's a weapon of offense. Are we in a fight for the gospel? We're in a war and we should both defend and contend for the gospel. That Doug has shared over in the past, uh, I think it's a George Barna research that says 97% of evangelical Christians have never shared the gospel one time. Many, many in the church take the approach that we can just sit around and wait for someone to show up and ask us something about Christ. <laughs> I don't know about you, I came to Christ in 81, and all these years I've never had one person come up to me and say, hey, tell me about Jesus. <laughs> I've just watched your life, and I just... That old saying, you know, preach the gospel and occasionally use words? BS. <laughs> what, what does Joby say? That's bull scubulon? Two ladies It is. It is not true. We have to speak up. We have to speak into the culture and we have to speak the gospel. As spiritual warriors, we have to advance truth. We have to confront the system. And in Acts chapter 25, the new governor Festus finds himself in a predicament. Since Paul couldn't get justice in Caesarea with either Felix or Festus, he appeals to Rome. And as a Roman citizen, he had the right to take his case to Caesar which would require being transferred to Rome. The problem is that Festus hasn't been able to gather credible evidence to execute a death sentence against Paul. And so Paul, in order to get a fair trial, demanded his case be heard by Caesar. Of course, the problem with sending Paul to Caesar is that Festus needed to provide Caesar with a basis for the trial. And up to this point, Paul's done nothing worthy of prison, much less a death sentence, there's been no violation of civil law, Roman law, or Jewish law. Enter, enter stage 
I, Agrippa and Bernice. King Agrippa II and his sister, <laughs> interesting, his sister, his lover, a.k.a. his ball and chain, um, show up in Caesarea to welcome the new Roman governor, Festus. Agrippa was really kind of a nothing king. He was a puppet king. However, he did order the temple worship. Uh, he also appointed the priest, which means that he had an understanding of Jewish customs and Jewish traditions, which is important as we look at the text today. Festus saw this visit, however, by Agrippa as an opportunity for Agrippa to, to hear Paul's testimony hoping that he could find something to write to Caesar about. And so in chapter 25, verse 23, it says this, So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Paul is ushered into this scene I'm trying to imagine Paul's been sitting in a prison for two years. There's some serious stank on Paul. His clothes are ragged, and now he's standing before the the you know these powerful people dressed in Oscar de la Rente purple robes and scarlet robes. He didn't care. He didn't care. You're right, James. He didn't care. I want you to turn to Luke chapter turn to Luke chapter 21 real quick. Luke. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He's foretelling of the the end times in a way. And in verse 10, look at this. It says, Then He said to them, Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. What's He talking about here? What's He talking about there? End times. End times. He's talking about the end times. He says in verse 2, But before all this, so before all this stuff's going to happen, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you Look at this. Delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now verse 13 is a key, key, key verse. This, look at that. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Amen. Verse 14, it says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Now here's what that's not saying. It's not saying don't meditate, period. It's just saying that get prepared beforehand for those times when you're going to be when you're going to have the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You ever gotten in those situations where you're like, "Man, this guy needs to hear the gospel, but I'm just not sure I'm ready." <coughs> get ready. <laughs> get ready. Because those opportunities are going to present themselves, so get ready now for when they come. Look at verse 15. For I, for, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. 
And where, where is Paul right now? He's before kings and governors. Paul could have rejected this invitation, by the way. Uh, Paul did not have to show up for this shindig. Uh, it, once, he had re- once he had demanded to go before Caesar, that's it. So he wasn't required to be there since he had appealed to Caesar. Instead of giving a defense, it really becomes an opportunity to give a witness. And last week we saw how God took a murderer and made him into an ambassador of reconciliation. A man who persecuted and killed Christians became the most influential leader in the church. Paul had gone, Paul had gone to Damascus as an apostle of the Sanhedrin, a sent one. But he returned as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Amen. And how did that happen? Only God can do that. Right. When you respond to His calling, your life will be changed. Amen. It's not that it should be changed. It will be changed. Amen. In the first part of Acts 26, we saw from last week how darkness perverts God's truth. How darkness persecutes God's people. And how God uses His people to bring light into darkness. I was thinking of 2 Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people of God's own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. That is our mission, to take the light into the darkness. In our culture, in the Christian culture, we like just hanging out in the light. I love you guys, truly. And if I could spend my days with you guys, that's what I'd want to do. But that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to take His gospel, the light of Jesus Christ, and take it to those dark places. And today as we finish chapter 26, we're going to see in Paul, uh, Paul's life that an authentic response to the gospel produces a changed life and a life that doesn't make sense to those outside of the kingdom. We're going to see that God calls us to, number one, an enduring obedience. An enduring obedience. Number two, God calls us to a biblical obedience. And number three, God calls us to an evangelistic obedience. So let's look at the text, Acts chapter 26 beginning in verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Verse 30, Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. These are the very words of God. The first thing we should notice is that Paul declares to Agrippa in verse 19 that he hasn't been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Despite the persecution, Paul had an enduring obedience. And so what is the heavenly vision? What is the heavenly vision? Well, go back up to verse 16. Same chapter, verse 16. The Lord told Paul, He said, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a look at that, a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Amen. That is the heavenly vision. Paul says he was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. In fact, he uses a double negative for emphasis, and then he details his course of action in verse 20. Beginning where? In Damascus, then Jerusalem, then the region of Judea, and all also to the Gentiles. Now, let me go back two years. Go back to Acts chapter 1 real quick. Acts chapter 1. Keep your finger there where where we are in 26. Go to Acts chapter 1. And I want you to look. (coughs) Excuse me. Acts chapter 1. (coughs) Let's begin in verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, In all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where's Paul? (laughs) Same place. Beginning in Damascus, then Jerusalem, then the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. Here in verse 20, Paul has one message to those in Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the Gentiles. You know what that message is? Repentance. It's repentance. That's the heavenly vision. Paul is faithful to the heavenly vision despite the outcome. Paul knew from the heavenly vision that he was going into enemy territory. And as a result of his message, persecution was inevitable. If you think in our culture today, you're going to be bold and preach the gospel without persecution, it ain't going to happen. 
And that's why he tells Agrippa in verse 21 for this reason. For what reason? The heavenly vision reason. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. In other words, salvation by grace, not by works, was not a popular message among the Jews. Especially when that message included the Gentiles. You guys know this parable where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 21. He says this, what do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said, to the, same, said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of, these, which, of the two, <clears throat> which of the two sons did the will of the Father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That's a crushing message. <laughs> That's a message that will bring persecution. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me for that message, guess what? <laughs> They're going to persecute you as well for that same message. Job 23.12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I love this. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, finish it. You will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 3 and 4, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he says, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So number one, God calls us to an enduring obedience. He also calls us to a biblical obedience. Paul tells Agrippa in verse 22 that to this day I've had the help that comes from God. Listen, I know many of you guys. I don't know some of you. But I would testify, I would say that many of you could testify to the fact that you wouldn't be here today apart from God and His help. I think of some of the stupid things I did by God's grace. I'm able to stand here. Matthew 28, 18, and 19, and 20, one of my favorite verses of Scripture says, Jesus is speaking. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In light of that, go make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And I think the best news in that text is he closes it by saying, and behold, I am with you. Always. To the end of the age. He's the faithful God. In other words, if the Lord has called you for a purpose, He will provide the help needed to accomplish the mission. Amen. Do we believe that? Listen, we can say we believe it with our mouth, but if it's not reflective in our behavior, I always say it's, Orthodoxy is one thing. Orthopraxy is another. What you say you believe better be lived out in, in what you do. Because Paul knows 
he has God's help. He says in verse 22, he says that I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Listen, Paul is no respecter of man. He's no respecter of people. Great or small, rich or poor, those with power, those without power, Paul was committed to declare the same message that Moses and the prophets spoke of. Paul knew his audience, and he also knew that the Word of God was living and active. It was sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Is that what it is? God. I thought everybody's going to stand up there for a second. Laughter is good. Paul knew his audience. Paul was going to speak truth. He was going to speak the gospel message to that audience come hell or high water. Is my message. And what is his message? Well, his message is the same message that was spoken of by, the, by Moses and the prophets. And the question for me is, is my message biblical? Did, did, did Paul's message cut to the core? Man, we need to be careful, as Paul was, to say nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Boy, I hear all sorts of things out there today. You know, people send me texts about messages people have said. They're, oh, I love this message. I'm like... That's not biblical. You ever get those? You ever sing songs and go, wait, that song, that's not biblical. Man, we are, we are saturated in unbiblical stuff. And Paul is saying, no. Our message is the same message that Moses and the prophets spoke of. And what did they speak of? What did Moses and the prophets say would come to pass? Verse 23 that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people, and here's the, here's the damaging part, and to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus is Messiah. He's a, he was a suffering Messiah that will be a light not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And while Paul is saying these things in the middle of this crowd, Festus... Get this, Festus, who knows nothing about what Moses and the prophets declared, yells at Paul in verse 24, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning, your, your education is driving you out of your mind. <clears throat> and of course, Paul isn't without a response. Verse 25, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking Amen. true <clears throat> true and rational words. You think about true words. True words come from outside of us. It didn't originate from you. It comes from outside of us. We don't determine what true is. God does. The psalmist said in 119.160 that the sum of your words is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Jesus said... In John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But he adds that word rational. Rational. Rational words. Paul's words were rational to his audience. 
1 John 2.21 reads, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lies of the truth. Paul knew who he was talking to. This was not foreign information. It may have been to Festus, but it wasn't to the crowd. And in the end, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so God calls His people to first an enduring obedience. Secondly, He calls them to a biblical obedience. And finally, He calls His people to an evangelistic obedience. Now, while, while Festus may have been darkened in his understanding, Paul shifts his focus to King Agrippa in verse 26. He says, The king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. Little little redirection of the, the conversation. He says, For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. I got to tell you, I wrote in my, my, my New American Standard Bible, this is before I was being sanctified yet, I think. <laughs> but I wrote under this passage, Paul's got some kahunas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I may not have writ- written that word because I didn't know how to spell it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Paul had a pair, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> Paul takes the opportunity to expose, to Festa, to expose Agrippa to Festus and all those in attendance, that the king knows these truths. He's up there all high and mighty, as if he doesn't get it. He gets it. In other words, Paul's message is not a secret revelation. It wasn't declared in a corner. Agrippa knew these truths. I mean, remember, he ordered the temple worship. He appointed priests. He knew of the Jewish customs and traditions. And so Paul speaks with boldness. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Notice that Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He is direct. And notice that he waits for a response. You guys ever shared the gospel because I know you, are got, you guys are not in that 97%. Have you ever shared the gospel and you just waited for a response and it got a little uncomfortable? I mean, I've done that so many times where I go, okay, I've shared the gospel. You want to make a decision? You want to pray? You want to surrender your heart to Christ? And it's just silence. It's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable. But you know what? That's good. The gospel is uncomfortable. It was a stumbling block. For them, it's a stumbling block in our culture. But Paul waits for a response. When we share the gospel, it may seem uncomfortable, but the gospel demands a response. Amen. So Agrippa responds to Paul in verse 28. He says, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa was saying, do you think you can convince me to become a Christian in such a short period of time? In Acts chapter 18, Paul enters Corinth and he responded in the synagogue. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. 
And he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. In Acts 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Acts 28, as we'll see in a week or two, Paul is on the island of Malta. And it says that when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, listen to this, and trying to persuade them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Who are you trying to persuade today? And what are you trying to persuade them with? Some, looking around this room, most of you, except for Ryan over here, remember when the youth movement kind of took off. Back in the 80s, I think it was, Doug. Isn't that about right? Probably in the 80s, the youth movement just started taking off. You know what, you know what made it take off? Cool music. Cool fun and games. I, I think I've heard somebody say, whatever you use to draw them in, you've got to keep using it to keep them. Man, that's been a problem for us in the church. What are we using to persuade people? Paul didn't use any gimmicks. He didn't use any cool props or great acting or any of that. Not that there's not a a need for some of that. But when it comes to the church, and we are the church, by the way, where do you use the Word of God? No gimmicks. So who are you trying to persuade? And what are you using to do that? Hang on, just a second. I'm just about done, then we'll sure. we'll open it up. Paul responds to Agrippa to Agrippa's question by saying in verse 29, I love this, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, Paul says, I'm going to be patient. I am not a very patient person, i got to tell you. <laughs> Paul's patient. He says if it takes a short period of time, great. If it takes a long period of time, great. I love this. The NASB, New American Standard, says, I wish to God. The NIV says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might be saved as I am, but without chains. Paul knows, as Acts 9.15 says, that he is a chosen instrument of God to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul also knows that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Look at verse 30. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another... This man is doing nothing deserving death or imprisonment. In Acts 23, verse 9, Pharisees declared Paul was innocent. In Acts 23, 29, Claudius Lysias declared Paul as innocent. In Acts 24, 22, Felix declared Paul as innocent. In Acts 25, Paul declared Paul as innocent. No sedition, no rebellion, no treason. Only Jesus Christ Resurrected. Verse 32, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. 
Listen, going to Rome was not about freedom. Going to Rome was about evangelizing those in Rome. Paul shared on on, on the staircase of the Antonio Fortress. He shared in the Sanhedrin. He shared with Felix. He shared with Festus and Agrippa and Bernice. Paul's life mission was about sharing the gospel. Plain and simple. Sharing the heavenly vision. I'll close with this. Romans 10.1 Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Is that my heart's desire? Is that my prayer? Is my prayer that those who are my enemies would be saved? Man, I think, I think many in the church today would prefer to see people converted to a political party than to Christ. And I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for the freedoms God has given us in this country. But let's get our priorities straight. I love this. David Jeremiah said this. We know exactly. We know exactly what needs to be done to advance the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. The question is, Will we do it? Will we do it? Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And may that be true of us. Doug, you want to close us in prayer? Uh, yeah. We can talk about it if you want to. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. Yes. I went in the Marine Corps in 81. I'm just going to be in San Diego. They gave us a pocket Bible. I started, I was carrying it around. I said, this is the work of God. That was the first time somebody actually gave me a Bible uh, when I was briefly in the Marine Corps. And, uh, and I, I started reading it to people. And I wasn't God. even saved. Praise God. Praise God. Guys, listen, um, thank you, Brad, for that. Um, you know, Paul says in First Corinthians 9, he says, I've become all things to all men that I might reach them. And, you know, as I, as I listen to Brad, and it's it's neat for me to sit here. One, I'm very blessed to have guys that can stand up there and can go through the verses and tell you this. We take this stuff for granted. So many people like, like um, Festus go, you guys are crazy to believe this. But we look at it, we want to read it, you're here because you want to hear it taught. And we live in a world that says you're crazy. If you really believe in some guy dying 2,000 years ago is going to save you, people think we're nuts. But, but like Paul, we should say, hey, we're rational. We believe in truth. We don't get to dictate truth. We can't be afraid to, to be witnesses, like Brad said. And, and I ask God every day for a heart that helps me to want to put myself out there. Because people think, well, you're an evangelist. It's easy. No, it's not. It's not any easier for me than anybody else. I, I get in front of somebody. I get the same, I can't speak kind of thing going on. And I, have, I say, Lord, help me. Because I want people to like me. I don't want to offend people. But we have a calling and guys, I'm going to tell you right now, at this point in history, 
I think, I think we are, we're closer to him returning. I mean, all the stuff going on with AI, all the stuff going on with other countries. If he comes tomorrow, I won't be surprised. I won't. But that's the way the apostles lived every day. That's the way Paul lived. And that's why it wasn't about his freedom. And so, as we think about what Brad shared and how God used him to share today, think about your life. One, um, and am I allowing my circumstances to get me from really being evangelistically motivated or, or out there being a witness like I'm supposed to be? I don't care what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad things are. Things are bad for everybody at some point because we live in a broken world. Right. Uh, I, I, and young people today think their life is so busy. I call my kids. They think, oh, I can't call talk dad. I'm really busy. I'm like, give me a break. I got eight kids, six grandkids. Bill's out there yin-yang. Don't tell me about busy. But we can all make excuses. So ask yourself, am I not being fervent to share Pray for people. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for these people. Ask yourself these things. Um, ask yourself, am I being, am I diluting it because I'm afraid it's going to offend somebody? You know, the, the, the law of non-contradict says you can't say something is and isn't and have both statements be true. You can't say you're a man for you, but you're not a man for you. That's stupid. That's irrational. And we got to be a, not afraid to say those things because we speak truth. We don't lie. We don't affirm bad things. We speak the truth. And if people get offended by the gospel of Jesus, they get offended by God's truth. That's between them and God. Just don't let them get offended because you're a jerk about it. All right? That's the only thing. So if any of those things are resonating with you and you need to repent, don't, don't just sit in paralysis. Confess it. Say, God, help me, and move on. He wants to answer that prayer. That's the knock and he'll be given. Ask him, help me, give me the words, help me be a witness, Lord, give me a heart for sharing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, thank you. your word uh, that is just so precious that people have actually died so that we could hear it, that we could own it, that we could have our own copy of it to, to work through. And we say so often take it for granted. We take for granted your spirit that gives us enlightenment and an ability to understand. Forgive us for that. And Lord, I, I just pray that we as a group of men, when we leave this place today, we would ask you, Lord, burden our heart for those that aren't saved around us. Burden our hearts to be effective witnesses. We don't all have to witness like Billy Graham or like Charles Stanley or any preacher. We just witness the way you made us to witness. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness to, to not be afraid to, to bring up Jesus to people, to talk about their spiritual life, especially when we witness, when we witness to people that are hurting. We see the hurting around us, Lord. Thank you for uh, just using Brad today, and uh, thank you for Chuck serving, and Lord, I just pray that uh, your peace and favor would rest on us. Give us opportunities 
I could be your witnesses today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before, before you guys run out, what percent of churches in this town do you think heard 